let me tell you a secret. Veterans are entering a world full of opportunity, but you can only participate if you know the tricks of personal branding, leveraging your skills in the modern digital economy, and most importantly, positioning your benefits and assets to give you financial control when you stop following orders. I'm Scott Tucker, and I'm here to tell you what they don't want you to know. Welcome to Veteran Wealth Secrets, where we show you how to go from apathy and aspiration to autonomy and financial control. We all have a story to share, experiences to learn from, things we wish somebody else would have told us that we had to learn along the way. So if you learn how to package your story, you can find ways to share it with others, bring value to the world, and bring connections to yourself to improve your own opportunities. Hi, I'm Scott Tucker, and welcome back to Veteran Wealth Secrets. And that aspect of the reality of our own experience, regardless of what it has to do with, it might have to do with our military career, might not. But is it not true that you've learned a few things along the way and that you might be able to share it with someone else coming behind you? that can help them improve, speed up their time, do things cheaper, do things a little bit better. That's what value creation is. And in modern times, everybody can do it. We've never had a better time in all of human history to bring that value to the world. That's what entrepreneurship is. That's what living a life of purpose and meaning is. So if we don't learn the skill sets and how to do that, then we're leaving so much on the table. And we risk having regrets that we've never truly contributed. And I got lucky. We had about seven or eight years after I got out of the military when I was really struggling with my identity. I didn't have integrity with the way financial services works. And the way I was told, this is how it's always done. You should just keep doing it that way. And I thought back to myself when I was getting out of the military, when I was entering the financial services industry, and knowing everything I knew later, I was pissed. I said, how is it? You know, I went to West Point. I had these mentors or these people in the industry, certified financial planners that have been in the industry 10, 20, 30 years. And yet, none of them told me the reality or the truth about how this stuff works. They just were going through the motions. And so, that's why I ended up writing my first book. One that I've never really even promoted. But I wrote it for myself because I realized, what is it that the Scott Tucker of 10, 15 years ago wanted to hear? Because at that time... I knew I didn't want to go out and get a job. I, I did a resume, but I never really sent it around to anybody. I was in Europe when I was getting out, so there wasn't the there wasn't LinkedIn. There wasn't all this stuff going on about how to get a job. I could have joined one of the recruit, recruiting firms, but they would have you know had me go back to the states, and I I needed to stay in Germany. But I I knew I was looking for something different, for something outside the box. 
but there was no pathway. There was no guidance. There was no, here's what I did and here's what to avoid. And it was frustrating. Now, I didn't recognize that frustration until many years later. And that's why I wanted to write the book. I was like, I needed to get it out of my head, all the stuff I wish somebody had told me. And it's nobody's fault but my own. That's the whole point. That's my whole message behind Venerable Secrets is I wasn't taking responsibility of myself at the time. I was just going to the next duty station, going to the next booth on the out-processing station. And that wasn't fair to me. You know, that wasn't fair to those whom I ended up serving or getting as clients because my head wasn't right. I didn't truly understand what my job was, my career was. I thought because I got certifications, I got licenses, I had a label. I was associated with a firm. I was associated with financial strategies or basically just products that I was a salesman for. Nobody ever told me I was a salesman. They don't tell any veterans when they're getting into the financial service industry, they're salesmen. They tell them, oh, you're going to be your own business. It's not true. In fact, some of these firms, when they're at the uh, veteran job fairs, they act like they're hiring them, giving them a job. We have jobs for you at such and such financial company. No, they don't. You're not making any money unless you make a commission. That's not a job. Now, it gives you more freedom, but it's misleading, and I find it disingenuous. So that's why I'm so open and honest with sharing my experiences because I don't want any other veteran entering this industry. Unfortunately, I see them on LinkedIn, and they're making all the same mistakes, wearing a suit, standard profile, I represent this firm. We've been around 150 years. So you're just a commodity because if you don't make it, which 95% of the in, of people of new people in the industry don't, they're going to be happy they had you uh, call all your friends and family and bug the hell out of them. You message everybody you connected with on LinkedIn. And you'll have gotten some of them in the door. You've barely made enough money to survive, and that's probably why you end up quitting, but they've got the client at the firm. It's not your client. So that really frustrates me. And the cool thing is it doesn't have to be that way anymore. It used to be that was the only way to enter this industry. But now things are changing. You don't need to have the Series 6, Series 7. I see new financial advisors posting on LinkedIn that, I've, I've just passed this new license, the four required financial advisor licenses. It's like, there are, there are no required financial advisor licenses. Who, who made up that crap? There's financial coaches all over the internet. They don't have any licenses. They don't have any responsibility. You can get or give advice from anybody you want. Now, the question is, should you be getting advice from someone just because they have a license? The license is only there because it allows you, based on government rules, to get paid for selling financial products. It has nothing to do with your competency as a financial advisor. And that's why, through my experience, if I, I've learned that financial advice 
has very little to do with budgeting or your stock portfolio or planning out for some retirement 30, 40 years from now because everything's going to change tomorrow. You know, it was that way always, but it's very much that case now in today's economy. So instead, why not employ a, a strategy of flexibility, a strategy of education, a strategy of personal branding, strategy of skill set development? That's wealth. That's financial advice. And so I continued to share my experiences and packaged them into books. It led to this podcast. It led to YouTube. It led to a website. It led to blogs. It led to speaking engagements. When I started down this path, I had when I wrote that book to myself that I didn't really promote, again, didn't expect anybody to read it. I just needed to get it out of my head. What is it I have to share? And it's led to all this. A continued ability to bring value to those whom I meant to serve. So I ask you, are you going to package your experiences to find the expertise, the knowledge, the thought leadership that you have in, in maybe in an industry or in a field that you're f- currently familiar with? Maybe it's something you're interested in, you want to learn more about, and you want to put your own spin on it. That's the opportunity we have. And I really hope you find a way to take it. If you want to learn more about how to do that, Make sure you pick up a copy of my book, Veteran Wealth Secrets, on Amazon, or you can get the first three chapters for free at VeteranWealthSecrets.com. we got an interview today about the idea of sharing experiences with Zach Page and Wyatt Page, two young officers who created the American Legacy Project. So very interesting stuff. Love it when people have a passion and want to create something young while they're still in the military. So hope you enjoy the interview. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, share with a friend, check out our YouTube channel, Veteran Well Secrets, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, everybody. Uh, Scott Tucker here again with Veteran Wealth Secrets. We're, this show is for those looking for something different or they, they want something else in their lives or they're understanding that we're in a new economy, a new age, and whether we're still active duty, we're getting out of the military, or already out, we want to take advantage of the new technologies and, and the new opportunities, the new connections, new way of finding meaning, let alone meaningful in- income. And so that's what my book's all about, Better Wall Secrets. You can get that on amazon.com now, released last week. We're getting great feedback on it, so that's exciting. And But it's even more exciting to talk to two young active duty officers, Wyatt Frazier and Zach Page, who are doing some pretty cool things out there. And I was just really excited to have them want to come on the show from very different parts of the globe, but we'll get into that. But thanks for coming on. Really excited to hear about your mission, how you came up with it. Thanks for having us on, Scott. We're really excited to, <laughs> yeah. to share a little bit about what we're doing. So yeah, I'm up here in Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm a, a 10 time zones apart from where Zach's at over in Baumholder. But we are, we graduated from West Point together in 2017. We were both economics majors. So that's how we became friends. And uh, so we got to know each other, kept talking after graduation. And I'm a medical service corps officer in an airborne brigade up here in Alaska. And Zach, I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more in just a second. But yeah, we, we started in the army. Personally, me, myself, after leaving West Point, 
I wanted to still stay engaged with something beyond, I guess the army teaches you how to operate within a system, which is a very valuable skill. It teaches you how to figure out what the system's asking of you and how to apply a very specific task. It's not entrepreneurial. It's not supposed to be. It, it, it couldn't be. Really, you couldn't have, you know, 3 million people in the Department of Defense all freewheeling. But we, we both felt like, hey, there's, there's got to be some way that we can be creative and that we can flex that muscle that we did flex a lot at West Point, you, whether it was figuring out assignments, figuring out what you're supposed to do. But when there's not an AR or a manual in the Army, it's what should I do? Well, there's a manual. There's an AR for that, right? Reference this. You go there, you read it, and it, it spells out exactly how you're supposed to run this, this fire drill, run this live fire, how you're supposed to deliver you know, this shipment, whatever it might be. And we both wanted something where, how do you do this? I don't know, right? Let's, mm -hmm. let's go to, you know, Professor YouTube or go to someone else's blog and figure that out. Um, and that's a skill that we, I think, really felt like we, we saw atrophying. So that's kind of what, what led us to start thinking of things. And that's what brought us to found this nonprofit, the American Legacy Project. And before we go on, I'll, I'll let Zach tell his side of the story, what, what he saw. Yeah, so I'm an air defense artillery officer in Baumholder, Germany. But why and I, we met at West Point, but he actually joined my class after two years doing his LDS mission. So it was just one of those circumstances where you, you meet somebody and you knew you were going to be lifelong friends. We always knew we wanted to do something together. And we thought about making a podcast or telling stories in some way are the genesis of the American Legacy Project actually started with Wyatt. So he could probably tell that story a little bit better, but we both noticed that like with podcasting, people are seeking value in new ways and storytelling is a powerful way and long form conversations is a way to bring out the nuance in life that people are craving. And that's one of the aspects of the American Legacy Project that appeals to not only veterans, but the, the population in, in large. Yeah, that's what I was um, looking at your website and saying, okay, hey, this is more than just a veteran thing. A couple of things I wanted to ask you guys about specifically, because it sounds like hey, the, the typical thing coming out of West Point is, all right, I gotta, I'm doing all these things about being a platoon leader, and that's the only thing I'm allowed to worry about. Um, but I don't know if this is because you guys are economics guys or just uh, your personalities wanting to be more creative or... Or honestly, if your mission work uh, might have had a lot to, to do with it, Wyatt, because I know from having traveled around the world, it's always about language and culture that, that helped me. I was a Portuguese major at West Point, and so I traveled a lot. I always thought that was a bit of a joke just because uh, that place sucked. I wanted to have some fun, but I ended up realizing that traveling and stuff helped me think outside the box, and, and it, it basically helped me become a better entrepreneur. So what was the catalyst for you guys? Had you read a Rich Dad, Poor Dad or something like that? We're just like, hey, we got to be figured something out. Or what causes you two to just say, listen, I don't know what we're going to do yet, but we're going to figure something out. But then we'll come back to talk more about the storytelling because that's a huge topic I want to get into. But what was the thing that made you want to say, hey, we're still active duty, but... We want to go try something. So let's figure let's figure out a project here. And not many people are willing to do that. Yeah, I think it comes down to time. Zach and I always talk about time management. I'm not we're not saying that we don't watch TV every once in a while or that we don't have social lives or anything. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely an element of you, you just want to prioritize. And to us, there's a not a personal mentor or anything, but an intellectual mentor. Naval Ravikant always says you find the thing that, that seems 
boring or tedious to someone else and make it fun to you. You're doing the same, he always says, you're doing the same amount of work when you're playing Call of Duty, you're working, but you're getting a reward. So if you can make uh, building a business or, or doing something probably like what you've experienced yourself with Veteran Wealth Secrets, if you can find something, build it and make it fun, so that's what we were always after was trying to find something that could mesh being productive. I had a, I did, I do still have a mentor. He's a graduate as well. He's been an entrepreneur and he would tell me he was a professor at West Point and then he went to grad school in the city and I, I kept a relationship with him and he would always talk about how when he was a, a lieutenant, he would, he made a rugby ball company, drop shipping type stuff, really minor entrepreneurial ventures, but he would just see what he could do. And when I graduated, I was like, hey, I want to see, maybe I could do stuff like that. There are definitely times in the army where you're busy. You do not have any other time. When you're deployed or when you are at NTC or JRTC, there's no time to be running a business. Like you're totally occupied with that. So Zach and I were always trying to figure out what can we do that would allow us to stay active creatively, but also would allow us the ability to maintain our commitment to our job. Cause that is, we are army officers first, and this is a combination of a passion project with something that we actually want to build up. Acknowledging, yeah, that our jobs come first. That's what we are doing right now. But really it, the, the entire impetus really started when I was talking to my platoon sergeant, my very first platoon sergeant. I get back for, or I get done with airborne school, get done with Bullock, show up at my unit and I'm immediately in the platoon leader slot. And I have this 19 year old, 19 year NCO. Uh, Sergeant First Class Marquez, and he's always, he's just telling me so many stories all the time. Yeah, as, as a, someone that served from you know 2000 now to 2020, he's seen the entire, you know, he joined before 9-11. Wow. So telling me all these stories, and I was like, have you ever written these down? Do you, do you record these? Do you journal? And he's like, oh, I don't think I ever have. And, <laughs> and he played them down, and my stories aren't that cool. I'm just Sergeant Marquez, right? I haven't done anything. Mm. And I was like, no, I think they're cool. I think you should write them down. And so he's like, yeah. And so then I thought, why don't I help you, right? You're about to retire. You've really helped me as a mentor, as a new officer. So I'll come over and I'll record your stuff and make this for you as a retirement present. So I did that and I talked to Zach and we were both like, hey, we could do this for more people. This is one NCO's experience. I'm sure there are a lot of NCOs and officers and whether you serve five years or 35, your time in service teaches you so much. And I think a lot of us really downplay for whatever reason, maybe it's uh, survivor's guilt for some people feeling that my buddy um, that I knew his story was cooler than mine, or whether it's just this feeling of like, I'm not a green beret. Uh, my story is not cool. All, all I did was this, right? But the more you talk to people, the more stories are ready to be told and need to be told. And for a lot of these people, they don't realize the worth that their own life and story has until they sit down and tell it. We're shy to talk to ourselves. We're shy to, to introspect. So that was the impetus uh, for, for starting what, what's now become the American Legacy Project. Man, I, I love that. And you make a great point. I also think that storytelling, while definitely cathartic and meaningful for those who want to tell the story, ultimately, he's telling the story to you, the young platoon leader. This is the kind of stuff they should be teaching at West Point. And in, in, in my mind, I wish they would have taught versus nuclear engineering. That like that didn't help. But I would have heard, loved to hear, have heard lots of stories from platoon sergeants like that. Because I, I think in this day and age, with the ability to mass communicate, anybody can have a book up on Amazon in 90 days. Anybody can start a, a channel just like we're doing right now radio, podcast, and why wouldn't they if 
what they have to teach and say could help somebody else come coming along. That's our opportunity. I'd like to see more veterans getting out there, telling their stories. Because I'm a big, you ever heard of story branding by Donald Miller? No. Building mm -hmm. a story brand. I think you guys really enjoy that book and see how it might apply to your mission as well as it's a branding here's how to brand and market your uh, your business and stuff but so mm -hmm. zach what uh, what do you think when wyatt came to you with this idea of, or, or how'd you guys manifest this into what became the american legacy project yeah so i had actually just gotten back or was just leaving to a mission in in europe and he he approached me with the idea and he had developed it a little bit. So he had gotten an original domain, I think it was USA Legacies. And, and then he had that whitewash book cover with his concept of how we would display these stories for the, the service members. I immediately thought that there was a correlation between the Humans in New York type of storytelling and sharing people's heuristics that they developed throughout their lives and highlighting different veterans that to the general public, they don't realize that not every veteran has PTSD or not every veteran is a man or not every veteran is even just not every veteran is in the combat arm. So we just yeah. wanted to highlight that the insights that each person has and something that's unique about the military services, it adds uh, pressure to your life and you're dealing with the same social forces that your civilian counterparts are. Mm -hmm. So looping this back to how humans in New York tell their stories, we are able to take snippets of our legacies and share them across our social media platforms. And some future ventures that we're doing is getting into the education space. We actually have uh, a program on our uh, website now but we're going to develop it further to get in the classroom so people can share these stories and, yeah. and present them to one another and just generate discussion. When Wyatt brought the project to me, in short, I thought it'd be a great way to bring the community at large together, regardless of if they're in the military or not. No, awesome. So how does it work? What, because you, you want people to hear the story, you got to have people to tell the story. I think when you start a nonprofit, most, a lot of folks don't understand that not-for-profit business is still a business. And so, you know, there's got to be some version of funding. There's got to be some level of organization. You Are you a solopreneur or you do you need employees? So tell me more about kind of the mechanics because sometimes people, a lot of people start getting into nonprofits when they shouldn't have. That was me. I did yeah. one of those. I did one of those raising, doing a, an annual golf outing. They're like, nah, that's probably, for the 10,000 we'll raise, it's not worth the effort. Yeah. <laughs> but I also want to make people cautious that how do you know whether or not to do a nonprofit versus a for-profit as well? So yeah, tell us more about kind of how you guys made those big decisions. Yeah. So yes. Oh yeah. I, if I you think want to answer the, the first part, I can talk about the process. After. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the process? So if you want to answer the question about the nonprofit space, I can talk about the process of how we capture the interviews probably afterwards. Yeah, let's do that. The the thing was like like you identified, right? Like your job first when you're in the, the military is as you remember, it's hectic. We didn't feel we have a, a couple things on the side that we've done that aren't like major businesses. So we were like, okay, maybe we you know everyone thinks about drop shipping or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You could do like little things like that that don't take too much time. But like building a business while you're in the military, we were like, There's no there's no way we're gonna build a 
a business that we could scale, get funding. It's just not, it just didn't seem possible with the kind of battle rhythm that you have as a BCT and Zach over uh, in an air defense battalion. Uh, so we were like, what do we do that can, like we said, remain flexible, but also engages a lot of those same muscles. And, and like you identified, a nonprofit doesn't mean everything's free. There's obviously a lot of, and we've discovered that there's a lot of ways to reduce costs, but things are still, you can definitely, you can ask accountants and attorneys to do things at cost because since you're a nonprofit, they can discount that, but they're still going to charge you a little bit. There's still going to be a cost. Certain mm. companies, Google, we've found Google ads. If you're a nonprofit, gives you $10,000 a month, but the, oh. there's, there's still a lot, there's still overhead that you have to cover. So we wanted to identify, you know, what's a way that we can do this. So primarily what we found is that donations from friends, families, uh, and other people that are supportive do cover that overhead. And then with each book, we have two tiers of books and Zach will go into that, but one of them is paid and the other one, but we do give no cost to the veterans and most of the veterans we serve will donate back to the project. Sure. So it doesn't come as a, they, they realize I'm, I'm paying this forward to some other veteran. But with the non, yeah, with the, with nonprofits, you do have to realize that there is an element of, you can't have equity in the company. You're not going to sell it to someone, but you have to stay afloat and there's still business decisions. You have to keep books. You have to make sure that you have a, a treasurer that's able to take account. You have to file your taxes. You have to go through all the legal processes, which can sometimes be pretty arduous. It's owning a business. You're just not owning the, the business. We haven't gotten to the point, we're not big enough to take revenue for ourselves. We're not doing this right now to, to make money for ourselves. But certainly you have to be honest with yourself that if you're going to run a nonprofit, if it got big enough and if you were spending enough time, you can justify that to your board and to your other volunteers. Thus far, we've found a lot of success in finding motivated volunteers and having a, a team approach, having a hierarchy where you have a CEO and then a VP and then a director and then employees below that. It doesn't work as well when you have volunteers, because what if someone all of a sudden has something to do, right? Right. So we found having a team-based approach where everyone kind of shares ideas, and that way if one person has to extract themselves, there's the rest of the team that still knows what's going on. So running a normal business, you want to have a decision makers at each tier. We've tried to make it so that the culture inside of what we're doing is much more collaborative, so that way... No one feels like, oh, I can't, I, if I extract myself, the whole thing crumbles. Making sure that works is difficult, but we found some good volunteers. We found some programs. There's a portal called Benevity. If anyone else out there is thinking about nonprofits, it matches you with corporations who are trying to encourage their employees to volunteer. So we found interviewers, transcribers, other people that are professionals at places like Humana, United Healthcare, that are getting paid by their companies to do work for us which is really cool because they, oh. you know, their companies, Humana, United Healthcare, Rakuten, Microsoft, they'll say, Hey, look, our company is telling us one, one day a month or whatever to take the afternoon off and do charity work. So what, yeah. What's that called? I mean, we've worked with so many organizations in the veteran service space. Mm -hmm. I don't think DOD Skillbridge typically works unless someone's going to work for a major <laughs> nonprofit, but yeah. maybe that'd be some cool ways to get access to veterans at like Amazon volunteer and just mm -hmm. said, man, I see a whole, pro man, that's a whole nother project number two for you guys. Here you're being creative, it's, but it's called Benevity. So B-E-N-E-V-I-T-Y and the yeah, Benevity portal. So we enter our stuff. It's free for the nonprofits and we register, you put job ads up. We were not sure how successful it would be. And we're like, okay, let's put up a few ads and we've gotten some really dedicated volunteers none of whom actually are veterans themselves or have veterans in their family. They're all people that said, look, I'm, I want to 
give back to veterans. Now, I want to say thank you for your service. So they've interviewed veterans, they've transcribed the interviews, and it's been a really cool experience for them connecting with veterans. But yeah, the Benevity portal has been super useful for us and for anyone else thinking about doing a nonprofit. If you own a company, you can sign up for it to encourage charitable giving and charitable activity through your employees. And yeah, in the future, we'd hope to be at the point where we can, whether it's selling merchandise or grants, where we could scale up and have, at some point you have to have employees. If you want to be able to, to, to have someone working 20 to 30 hours a week, that's not realistic. Ask someone to volunteer that much, unless they're just an extraordinary person. So at some point you're going to have to have payroll in a nonprofit and, and we're not quite there yet, but that is definitely something that we see in, you know, short to midterm that we're going to need. So that's a, a consideration for nonprofits. You're not going to get there's certain incentives you can present to people, but for the most part, you need to have monetary incentives to, to make it worth someone's time. Yeah. Uh, so even the U S army needs, needs funding. Hey, Zach, why, why don't you tell us a little bit more than about the, the, the process who, whom do you serve and how are you serving them? Yeah, so we serve any active duty reservist or a veteran of any branch. So the services that we offer on the civilian side typically cost anywhere from 1000 to 4000 to even $10,000. Wow. Because with a civilian company that, that does an interview, a custom curated narrative, and then placing their custom photos in a book, it takes time. And why didn't I learn at the beginning is getting that minimum viable product into a, a robust product takes time and expertise that we just didn't have. So we were lucky enough to get volunteers who were designers to help us with InDesign to make a really uh, sleek template. And then we found some software solutions online to drive down the cost of transcription and the cost of creating a curated book. So the way it works is anybody can connect with one of our volunteers to, to set up an interview. They can do an interview at home. They can do a monologue. But after that interview, they would send the audio file into our organization and we would kick it to our AI to transcribe. And from there, one of our volunteers would look for any minor errors and create a narrative from the service member's story. And one thing I, I failed to mention was the pre-interview guides are on our website, theamericanlegacyproject.com or.org. And the, these guide the veteran through introspection. And once they fill out the form, they'll submit it to the person interviewing them. And from there, that would guide the discussion that uh, occurs in the 120 minute uh, to 90 minute interview. So once we have the transcription complete, we ask the, the veteran to send 40 to 60 photos for their book. And once we tailor the narrative and it's okay, we will either kick that transcription to our partners at the Porch Swing Stories. It's a for-profit company that does the process behind our classic legacy books. And then we also have a premium legacy book that is more curated and we hire designers to, to help custom curate that book. So that one comes at cost, but it's significantly reduced to what the market cost is. So the cool thing about the classic book with Porch Swing Story is 
that the veteran can go into their portal and build their own book and make chapters themselves. Yeah. And then when they're ready, they can click print and print. But our volunteers, if the veteran doesn't want to do that, our volunteers will go and build the book, print the book for them. And the way that's all private for the veteran and their family, but we also offer our public legacy listing. So in that stage where we're curating the narrative, we'll ask the veteran if there's any portions of the story they'd want to omit, or if they were open to sharing most of their photos and their story on the site so that we can share their unique experiences with the, the broader uh, public. And we found most people are happy to share and we're glad to have their stories on there because we think they provide tremendous value. But in, in all, the whole process is very dependent on the service members participation, because if we're done with the narrative, it goes back to them and they have to okay it. We've so far have captured about 35 legacies since really since March, we had a couple before that, but it's been an awesome learning process. And I think everybody, interviewers to transcribers that have had nothing to do with the interview or the designers, everybody's gotten value out of this and wanted to come back and, and serve some more. So it's been awesome so far. Man, uh, guys, congratulations on that. And put together so quick. How, how, when did this all start? When was that? Officially, we, we incorporated officially, which is a process. As you as a business owner, the IRS is not is not uh, easy to work with, per se. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Registering regulations. It started officially in March, but we've really been at this for two two years and some change. Okay, well, put, putting the systems yeah. and the team together. It's, I yeah. mean, either way, I know nonprofits that have a, a military transition program and they've, well, we've been at this for a few years. We've actually only brought like a couple people through. It's to bring 35 uh, people through it already. Obviously you're testing and learning uh, along the way, but I, I think you said it right there at the end. It I mean, I find this in my business. People can come to you and say, oh, I want to do the thing that you offer. Yeah. If something gets in the way that, you know, and it's just, it's like, you know, do, you, do you really want to do this? And yeah. other than getting their maybe stories in on paper for their for their kids or grandkids, what what's the other reason? I have my thoughts, but that you think uh, it's important for service members and veterans to share their story. It's we got a couple minutes left, mm -hmm. so I thought that'd be a great way to to wrap this up. Like, why do we need to tell our stories from the individual perspective? Yeah, I think. Yeah, you want to. Comment? I'll just share two two things, that, yeah. that, and then I'll pass it off to Zach. The first is just the ability when you can talk to yourself and when you can examine yourself, mm -hmm. uh, it's super valuable. And like I said, a lot of people, life happens fast. You're busy. There's no, it's not a normal thing to sit and introspect. And whatever form that might take for for, for different people, you need to be doing that. And this is an opportunity that the people that we've done. It's only an hour and a half interview. But midway through the interview, you'll notice you know, they'll start to get lost in their own thoughts. You notice they're not talking to you anymore. Yeah. And that's a huge benefit. They'll finish and they're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I learned something as I was telling that story, I realized the lesson that I, sh that I've learned 10 years later. And the hope is that you continue to introspect and that's the catalyst for, for something more. The second thing is that the empathy 
factor between civilians and military, we always ask, as veterans ourselves, we always joke about, thank you for your service. You're welcome for my service. What does that mean? And when you don't even know what the service is, and I think that empathy that you can develop is so crucial, just understanding what's going on and understanding what that life is like. So when it says, hey, thank you for my service, thank you for your service, excuse me. When you know that the person looking and thanking you knows what you're doing, it's not so weird. It's, hey, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Whatever that would mean for you. I think there's a lot of resentment towards that phrase when it's, you don't even know what I did. Like whether <laughs> right, I was right. in a combat zone or whether I sat, sat, in, pusher. <laughs> right, sat, in, sat in the training area at Fort Richardson, but everything, it's a diff different discussion for the time, but when you can increase that empathy, and then just show people that people like you are doing things that maybe you didn't think of before. So whether that's, we have an interview, Graciela Tiscarino Sato, she's on our site. She talks about being, you know, the only female in her navigation flight class. She never felt out of place. She never felt like she was discriminated against or anything. But she said, I think a lot of women don't do it, not because it's a hostile environment. They just don't ever see anyone. If the only mm -hmm. people that you see don't look anything like you don't have your background, then you might think, oh, maybe that's not for me. And, and getting stories out there of people that are from all different backgrounds and showing that the military is a place that really takes all talents, all types of people. And, and again, increasing that understanding from civilians. I think that's been a, a huge effect. So Zach, I'll Yeah, I think you've got a lot of things that, that I was going to share. But I guess one of the last things that I would add to that is that when you realize how diverse the military community is with the diversity of thought or background, because we're pulling people from all over the country and the U.S. territories and people that are trying to get in citizenship um, and you're throwing them on the same team and you're giving them a task to do. It's something special and it's one of the last areas where some of the insidious nature of our, our culture right now hmm. does it, it can seep in but it doesn't destroy what makes it valuable and what makes it valuable is a team and being able to look left and right recognize that people are different but you're on a fan you're a family and you're human and understanding yourself helps you get to that realization but really being in that environment does yeah it's, it's pretty special to share these stories with the public no, I think you guys have a, an amazing and, and noble mission, and so I applaud you. Because I think the answer to that question of what do I say if I don't say thank you to you uh, for your service, um, because that's an end of a conversation, right? That's uh, thanks. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, uh, it's, bye. Yeah. Okay. So it's awkward for everybody. We don't know what to say. They don't know what they're supposed to say. I always say, instead, say, tell me about your service, because that starts the conversation. Then you can go, oh, you were this. Oh, you were just in the Air Force? No, just kidding. Um, but it's like, no, but, but, you know, but really, yeah. But there's context for everything. Oh, you went to an academy or were on the front lines. Hey, very different stuff. And yeah, because these wars have been ignored for a few years, I would say most of our communities aren't really quite paying attention other than, yay, thanks. We've been conditioned to assume all the veterans are out there doing good stuff, which they are, but we don't integrate into society if we don't actually understand. What's going on? What did you do in the military? And likewise, hey, civilian, tell me about your life too. Yeah. We need to hear those stories. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. we're aware. It's not just us coming out of the, uh, the military with all the, all the cool stories. But hey, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know really looking forward to seeing uh, where this goes here in, in a few years. And it, definitely looking forward to st stay on here after we go off live. I'd like to uh, chat a little bit about how we can 
help you know, spread what you guys are doing and find the right people to, to tell those stories. Because I, I, I can't say it enough. It's For me, it was cathartic to, to write my first book. It was just like, oh, one, I completed something that yeah. was just mine. And it got so much stuff out of my head. It really helped me find my true identity of what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. So I think people who, who don't get that written down in some way so they can reflect on it are missing out on a huge opportunity. So glad you guys are giving people an opportunity to do that at cost, if not cheaper, because uh, you guys are doing it the nonprofit way. And hey, veterans like stuff that's taken care of for them. That's for sure. So that's awesome. But all right, guys, uh, we got uh, your website down there, theamericanlegacyproject.org. So please check it out and spread the word. And thanks again, guys. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Veteran Wealth Secrets. Be sure to subscribe to us on all the podcast channels, also on YouTube, and share it with a friend. Visit our website at usvetwealth.com to get access to all of our free resources, including the first three chapters of Veteran Wealth Secrets, the post-military guide to gaining autonomy and control. You can get that today on our website, first three chapters for free, or you can go to amazon.com if you want the Kindle or paperback. We have other resources all over the website, so check out usvetwealth.com to learn more.